Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm... I was born to ride with a machine between my legs. And I'm a real wild one, and I like wild fun. In a world gone crazy, everything seems hazy. I'm a wild one. Oh yeah, I'm a wild one. <laughs> Welcome to episode 215, Hogwild 1996. Ain't no easy riders here. Oh, my bad. I it's wasn't even paying attention. We were distracted by all the <laughs> motorcycle, you know, <laughs> jargon and stuff. We're just, yeah, a couple of, hog, yeah, a trio of hog riders. Thoughts on easy ride. <laughs> important, but it doesn't stand the test. Is more important than it is good. Agreed. <laughs> Have you ever seen it? I've never wanted to watch it because it just never called out to me. Bigger question. Have you ever watched the sequel? No. It's worse than The Room. Jesus. That makes it sound almost worth watching. No. <laughs> no I, okay. No. What's, the, thing that, the thing that blew my mind is, it's like, yeah, I understand Easy Rider is important, but then I realized also that Midnight Cowboy came out the same year. And it's, it's even better, and it's a much better movie, and it's also important <laughs> in a you know similar way to like American film. Uh, so just watch Midnight Cowboy twice. I, I literally watched Easy Rider, and I went, if I watched this back when it came out, yeah, it means a lot. Maybe it means something to me. Watching it when I watched it a couple years ago, I was like, it's just another boring Peter Fonda. Exactly. <laughs> What's funny is I was actually talking. I don't know what, why, but earlier today I was talking to my mom about that, and she's like, "Oh, like it was a big deal." She saw it in the theater, of course, because you kind of had to. But yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't think it holds up unless you were there for the moment. I don't think it's the worst movie ever made, but it's like I said, more important than it is. Yeah. Just you know, general, genuinely good. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So this was the first Hogwild produced by WCW. It would take place on August 10th, 1996 from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota with an attendance of 5,000 people. This is just another free show. We like to do that here, don't we? For a town of 6,500 people, getting 5,000 of them there, not too bad. And you say they're free. So I actually wanted to bring this note up. I mean, I'm assuming. So, the, actually, the last time we talked WCW, it was that Nitro that was at Disney, mm -hmm. the MGM Studios. And we wondered, why are they doing this show in front of 600 people? Well, the reason was because since they didn't sell tickets to this show, they were saving money by having one location and not traveling with everyone to around the country. Yeah. Okay. So it makes, a, it makes a little bit more sense, even though it's still kind of weird to have, like, literally the show after this big moment yeah. in front of 600 people. Yeah. And then for the few weeks to follow, still only having 600 people. Yeah. <laughs> and the Sturgis thing is just like, well, we all know why it's there, because the 
big brass idiots in WCW at this moment being Eric Bischoff. Hulk Hogan and a lot of those boys love their motorcycles, and this is basically just a vacation for people with large heads. You can determine which one you want to think of. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, you know, if you took a gathering of the most southern mentality, but of northern people, that's kind of what it's I do Sturgis as. It's a good thought process. <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, the point that, like, why is Kid Rock such a racist that loves the confederate flag he's from michigan mm-hmm. how did that happen he must really mean it <laughs> how did kid rock get a following sturgis and undertaker yeah <laughs> but we are in south dakota so shane did you do what you do well you know i did much as i've done in in previous episodes I went to a, a familiar place, thanks to uh, the advice of our fellow WHXer here, Matthew, and I picked up just a bunch of wild hog. I went and, and got as much pork product as they could at my friends over at Iron Star. Got some ribs, got some bacon-wrapped quail, which is not only hog but wild and then they had a special today which is their weekend special of burn in so i had to get that and then you know gotta have some cornbread to go with it just because if we're going hog wild we gotta have some bread to go with the meats no vegetables here folks no this is a a i mean we've got salsa verde there that's that's all the veggies we need there's There's jalapeno yeah there's jalapeno in the quail there's some serrano in the glaze that was on the quail you had your fruits in there with the the apricot yeah we, we just had a, a little feast of meats. We had a whole plate of stuff in front of us, and we kind of devoured it. Yes. Yeah. But it was worth, worth it was every worth bite. It was worth every bite. Absolutely. But that's not all we have. You know, somebody hopped on their, uh, their hog and also it, brought something from South Dakota. Matt. Oh, yeah. I brought us a little, a little dessert, I guess. It's a company called Nerdy Nuts. They make peanut butter, and they are actually from South Dakota. And the one I brought for us this week is Dough MG, which is basically, it's a smunchy white chocolate peanut butter swirled with chocolate sauce and topped with cookie dough and fudge dough bites. Okay, yeah. But they're, like I said, they're a, they're local out of South Dakota, like the entire family like grew up in South Dakota and just decided that they were going to make some peanut butter and they have their best sellers are like confetti cake peanut butter, PB&J and then just your regular PB Dreams, you know, just true peanut butter that's made with good ingredients and everything. But every week they come up with like special releases and they get released at 7 o'clock Eastern on Sunday night. So you have to like check their website every week basically to see if there's one that you want and try and order it before they sell out because they do limited quantities each week. And it's just super tasty. Like all of them basically just come with like fixings in them. Like literally Michael asked me earlier, he's like, what do you put this on? And I was like, a spoon yep. and <laughs> put it in my mouth. The, I mean, um, it's really good on cornbread. I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. With the, the green chilies and everything that are on the cornbread, that are 
They're not green chilies. Why did I say that? There's a little pepper flex in there, but the uh, what's the ice cream place where they like chop it up and add crap to it? Cold, cold stone. stone, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, cold it's like the the cold stone version of peanut butter, kind of. It's like we're just gonna put a bunch of stuff in there. Yep. And uh, I, we promise it'll work out. And I'd say that it was very successful. So I mean, if you like peanut butter and you like some fancy peanut butter, not just the kind that you do PB&Js with, check out Nerdy Nuts, nerdynuts.com. I know, I was thinking using this to make some some high-priced peanut butter cookies would probably be pretty wild. That would be some legit shit. I'm not going to lie. I might have to try that out sometime. Nerdy Nuts. I'm a, I'm a fan. I might have to check them out see what more goodies we can get. I mean, yeah, we'll go. We'll be going back to South Dakota in about a year, I'd imagine. Might have us a different flavor at that point. But something that would also happen right around the same time as Hog Wild, a couple movies would hit the theater. Escape from L.A. and Jack. Two wild movies from great directors not putting out their best work. Yeah. <laughs> That's the two things these movies have in common. Two of the greats, one that typically works on a low budget and has made some of the greatest horror movies of all time, and the other guy made Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, and The Godfather 2, and then made a movie called Jack, where Robin Williams saves gummy bears for Jennifer Lopez. Only the red ones. I've seen Jack a lot, and I can't believe that I ever watched it more than once, but I was a kid. And saw it in the theater, played on TV a lot. And so I was sitting here trying to figure out, is that legit what happens in the movie? Because I've never actually watched Jack. That was, that might be one of the only Robin Williams movies I haven't watched. Shane, you can skip it, but it's probably still a little bit better than Bicentennial Man. And that's not saying much yeah, at all. Yeah, that one was not I will say it's shorter than Bicentennial Man, so by that, like, metric, that makes it better than Bicentennial Man. <laughs> So stick with one hour photo is what you're saying. Yeah, oh, good God. movie. Good movie. Oh God! <laughs> really, a photo. <laughs> it's about heartbreaking and upsetting and disgusting. Oh. But it is a good movie. It's great. <laughs> oh, I remember watching that movie for the first time, and I just went, "What?" The? Yeah, your stomach goes cold at the end of that movie. <laughs> yep. Hmm. Hey, man. You can't always be the guy with the hairy arms, you know, ad-libbing on cocaine. <laughs> I've always wondered if, like, they came up with the idea and then got Robin Williams, or if they had Robin Williams and then came up with the idea. Because Robin Williams seems like the only person that could really play this character. It's a really good point. It's like, well, Tom Hanks God, that played would be a kid. Hilarious. And then got an Oscar nomination for it, and yeah, maybe that's what they were hoping for, was to... Bring in some of the the big love, but they didn't. Uh, I believe, again, Di- I believe Diane Lane plays his mom in the movie. Yeah, <sighs> and then it's I got some it's got some hotties in it for sure. Diane Lane and Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez, Lopez plays like one of his like you know elementary like, school teachers. Is it Jennifer Lopez's first movie? But I think she was in Money Train first. Yeah, Money Train was what put her out there. I think it was the same year. Uh, year I think I remember seeing what year was it? Anaconda. Oh, Anaconda. Don't rules. want none. Anaconda is such a good bad movie. It is a bad. It's a good bad movie. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. just a, it's fun and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. 
and it doesn't, you know, take yeah. itself too seriously, but it's not a huge joke either. Well, there were motherfucking snakes on motherfucking planes. There was, there was one big snake. Big ass snake in On a motherfucking pond. boat. <laughs> yeah. Swamp, whatever the hell it was. Did you see Escape from L.A. before you saw Escape from New York? I don't know. I may have, because we used to rent a lot of movies in high school, and we would rent them on VHS on the, like, free day, so all of our friends would grab a movie. Nice little segue there with the snakes. But... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean, Escape from LA is not nearly as good of a movie, but it is. If you are down for a campy time, it's fucking wild. Because the other one, the first movie is a mood piece, and this movie is just like Straight almost the, almost the comedy version. Because what happens, everything that happens is so ridiculous that it's very farcical. It's Evil Dead Two. It is kind of Evil Dead Two. That is a good point, but I don't know if Carpenter meant for it to be that tone no i don't think so but i yeah like it is charming in a way but it is also kind of the end of carpenter's career in a way he makes more movies after this but mm -hmm. there's no you know there's no classics after this either how about you shane did you see new york before you saw la uh i've or never watched seen either one of them? i've seen new york la i saw plenty of previews uh, when I worked at Blockbuster, because it was constantly on the trailer tapes when it came out on video. The basketball shot? Uh, Probably. That's. It's funny because like John Carpenter is a huge basketball fan. Nowadays, all he likes is video games, music, and basketball. And it's just funny to see you know him sneak his some of his basketball love, <laughs> like Kurt Russell shooting a basketball wearing an eye patch. Let the hilarity ensue. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't feel the need to watch it just because. Working at Blockbuster, I wasn't getting much feedback from people that I needed to watch it. So, yeah, the, the previews that we had every four hours was enough. Yeah, I'm a huge Carpenter fan. I would say Escape from L.A. is not even in the... Definitely not in the top five, maybe not in the top ten of the movies you should be watching definitely of not. his first. Yeah, same thing with Kurt Russell. There's, there's plenty better Kurt Russell movies to Oh, watch. yeah, and most of them are John Carpenter movies. <laughs> <laughs> the Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, yeah, The First Escape, escape from either, New York. It's either Carpenter or, you know, he sticks with Goldie. Goldie Hawn, yeah. yeah. Makes classics, makes Overboard, makes Swing Shift or whatever the hell it was. Oh, so, yeah, Swing Shift is a movie that is has, like, a good idea, but I think it just, they didn't get the right edit, like... I think that it was a movie that had issues. Crazy that I've actually seen Swing Shift. Jesus, it's been a long time. I think since it I might be like a Jonathan Demme movie or something. Ah. I, it's got to be a director. That's the reason I would have watched it. <laughs> it's got to be a director of note. How dare you not include the computer who wore tennis shoes in my, that list? My bad. Is that one of his early Disney movies as yeah, a kid? It's like it's one of his first <laughs> starring roles. Because him and Walt Disney were. Really chummy. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, supposedly the last time. thing uh, Walt Disney ever did was write down Kurt Russell's name on a piece of paper before he died. Mm -hmm. Pretty wild. Who knows? It could have been a... He was the future. He thought he was the future. Kurt Russell did this to me. Oh, Kurt, <laughs> Kurt young Kurt Russell. <laughs> I want to I wanna get you my frozen head. <laughs> but yeah, check out... Other movies by the, the same, these the two same, directors. Same directors. Yeah. If you actors. haven't seen The Godfather Part 1 and 2... Get on it. If you haven't seen Halloween or The Thing, yeah. get on it. If you haven't seen Big Trouble in Little China, get on it. Absolutely. A movie <laughs> that, like, legitimately, I don't know if there's 
80s movies that are as fun as like it might be the most fun board the original i watched big trouble little Charlie was one of the movies that i watched as a kid and i didn't know who john carpenter was at the time yeah but then i think whenever escape from la came out it i think one of the lines it said was from the from the director of big trouble in little china and so it made me want to watch it yeah and so i actually I saw Escape from L.A. first. And what's funny is Escape from L.A. makes the most context being billed as from the director of Big Trouble in Little China because those are the only two movies like that John Comfort made that are quite like that in tone where they're as adventurous and wacky. Like, it's normally not his thing. And I bet if I watched, you know, did a double feature, I would appreciate escape from LA a little bit more than you do out of context where you're like, what's going on here? And it's like, no, just get the popcorn and, and crack a beer and you know, just go along for the ride. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy. Yeah. Cause it's wacky. Well, let's talk some wrestling. Let's do it. So we get footage of South Dakota, such as Mount Rushmore, the black Hills and the crazy horse Memorial with narration. Since 1938, motorcycle enthusiasts gather each year for the biggest bike rally. We get the Hogwild logo before helicopter footage of the hills of Sturgis before turning to the rally area. And we get Tony Schiavone welcoming us to the show, joined by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh no, are these boys dressed to impress? Black leather hats and lots of denim. Oh yeah. Was Tony wearing like a fake wig or was his hair actually that long at the time? Because he, he went from being clean cut Tony to mullet Tony fairly quickly. He had long hair there for Did a while. He? Okay. I was trying to remember. Yeah. He got himself an earring, grew out the hair, started <laughs> ripping some lines with the boys maybe. He went to a few flare parties. Can't beat him, join them, I guess. Yeah. And our announcers discussed the matches on the show and if the NWO can be stopped. I also have to point out the, uh, I don't think I've seen it before in any wrestling show where it started off with the almost movie type feel of a world championship wrestling production or something like that, like title card. It just seemed like they were starting a movie about South Dakota or <laughs> Mount Rushmore or something like that and then rolled into the typical thing. But yeah, that that stood out as, have I missed this before or is this the first time I'm seeing this? No, I think it was the first time. Also... Doing this show that you're not, that you can only have 5,000 people at and you're spending money on helicopter shots. <laughs> I mean, they could have more people because people, so it, there's no stands, there's no chairs. No. Everyone is just sitting on their yeah. motorcycle. BYOB. And I do not believe that it's 5,000 people. Not no, I, I, I mean, there might have been 5,000 people in the area. Area. In but, a square mile. I mean, there's tons of people just riding up, up and down behind, in the background of, shots but like they literally come out and they walk down a dirt path yeah and then they have to step up some stairs to a, a platform, platform. <laughs> to get into the ring the ring is on a platform yeah it's the like, stairs a platform and then the ring so like the ring and is... it's like downhill like yeah. to this and the ring itself I, I swear it looked taller than i mean i know it was on a platform but the ring itself looked like it was taller and it could have just been because the first people i saw standing beside it weren't very tall too tall 
it's a wild looking show just like as far as a production setup yeah, for a wrestling is. show yeah it is very unique so we go to our first match ultimate dragon with sunny ono versus Rey mysterio jr <laughs> for the wcw cruiserweight championship and this is the first time we've talked about Rey mysterio since he was inducted into the wwe hall of fame so, wow. I know. Congratulations. He the Hall of Fame, spanked his boy in front of the biggest crowd possible. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it was, it's, been a, it's been a good year for Who would have known that Dominic Mysterio would end up, end up being so compelling? And the professor, Mike Tanay, joins the booth for this match. And he corrects everyone, letting everyone know that Ultimate Dragon is the Ultimo Dragon. And will be called... That so as we go, I know. I was like, thank you, Mike. We everybody kind of gets what Ultimo is, and we all know he's Hispanic. So our announcers then talk about the medical team having to help Ray this past week, taking his mask off to do so, which, as Tanay tells us, is something that just doesn't happen with luchadors and masked wrestlers. They mm-hmm. don't ever take their mask off. But the reason was the infamous lawn darting. I was wondering if that's what that was from. By Kevin Nash into the trailer. If you've ever seen the big NWO demolition. Yeah, I remember watching that live. That was a a holy shit of holy shit moments of, they seriously just took that dude and threw him headfirst inside of a truck. But a small little piece of tidbit that was there that they said, but doesn't really come into effect really on this show but Mysterio claimed that there were four men that had attacked him four we only know of three NWO members so who could it be now I also love that since this is taped or whatever they have that intro but Tony lets us know that this match will be again on pay-per-view so it's like oh this is like some of this is still catching a little bit of the pre-show yeah trying to trying to get him in like all right the action's about to start yeah ride him right into it but as we get started the two men trade holds and reversals with each trying to outshine the other until dragon takes control with kicks hand a handspring back elbow and a running powerbomb Rey Mysterio maybe the first time he's worn Spider-Man gear Perhaps. Yeah. At least the first time we've seen it. Yeah. He may have done it in uh, Mexico, which we have not seen a lot. Just Mexican matches, but just something to point out. We know the guy likes his superhero costumes. Ultimo works various submissions, such as a figure four, a spinning torture rack, and a Romero special, which Ray escapes to land on top for a two count. I mean, that's yeah, what you want out of the first match. Spinning torture rack. That's pretty, pretty sweet. I know. I was like, that's pretty Had cool. it backwards and then dropped him down. Yeah, rarely do we see like brand new things. It's like, God, oh, never saw, never seen anything quite like that before. <laughs> Mysterio avoids a charging dragon in the corner, but then charges in himself, only to be backdropped out to the apron. But Ray springboards off the ropes into a drop kick that sends Ultimo out to the floor, followed by a baseball slide that sends him tumbling off the platform. And of course, uh, this in- very intelligent crowd. Channing USA, go figure. Yeah. I know Sonny Ono, of course. It's his nice little shot at the camera. American fans, so stupid. <laughs> I should be saying Mexico, not USA. Mysterio then leaps off the ropes with a springboard plancha 
all the way out to the dirt Oof. before dragging Dragon back to the ring, where Ray flies off the top rope with a Hurricanrana. Nice, nice catch, uh, Ultimo. Yes. <laughs> Mysterio has his whip reversed, and he flips over the ropes to the apron, allowing him to go for a springboard crossbody, only for Ultimo to catch him with a dropkick on his way down that causes Ray to roll out to the floor. Dragon then fakes flying out, only to then hit a dropkick, skinning the cat back into the ring and leaping over the ropes with a slingshot plancha. Ultimo keeps up the attack inside the ring with a bridging German for a near fall and a quebrada before heading up top for a moonsault press for a two count. Dragon then goes for a running powerbomb, only for Mysterio to counter it into a rana, followed by an attempted whip, but Ultimo reverses, sending Ray to a corner. And Dragon follows in, but they fight their way to the top turnbuckle, with Mysterio gaining the advantage to go for a Super Frankensteiner, only for Ultimo to block, so Ray leaps back up and nails it this time. For the pin! And, and the, the win. win! Good hot start. Yeah. They, uh, I guess I didn't realize until watching the show, they mentioned that Ray and Ultimo were once upon a time tag partners, or maybe it was just for a match or something. They, they may have tagged back in Mexico. Yeah, they do say this is the first time they've, they've had a match together, yeah. but that could be first time in the USA. So. I think it was the first time they'd ever faced each other. Yeah, I mean, solid, solid first match, solid first match for a show. I mean, this is something that can be said throughout this whole show. Bad wrestling venue could have been a better match in an arena with like there's people here that are fans but not all of them are wrestling nah. fans yeah. but like there is more fans than i expected considering where we're at and what yeah. we're doing here we go to mean gene who plugs the hotline and he says he has some news on who's backstage and it might affect who could join the nwo uh-oh our commentators then speak more about the rally, with Tony saying there's some odd people and provocative machines here, while Heenan confuses bicycles with motorcycles. Because, you know, that's what the brain does. Yeah. He's we, not smart. He's great. We then go to our second match. Scott Norton versus Ice Train. And the story behind this match was that Ice Train's mistakes kept costing the team wins. And Fire had enough of it. So he attacked his partner. I mean, this tag team really shouldn't have broken up this early, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, they've had, what, three matches? Yeah. I mean, that we saw, anyway. Yeah, and they're big, powerful guys. Come on. Scott would start interfering during Ice's matches, but never attacking him. Only helping him, as he wanted Ice Train to be fresh for their fight. So he'd have no excuse for when he lost. But the night before... Ice got into the giant's face and would get his shoulder and his manager, Teddy Long, hurt in the confrontation. Hmm. So that's why, because of the injury, Ice Train has his shoulder wrapped up when he comes out, which becomes Norton's target very quickly. I do have a, you know, you can see some colorful characters out here at Sturgis, but there's a guy who has like a fake arm hanging out of his, the like compartment on his motorcycle. Pretty good dad gag. Look at all body stuff in it. Now Ice fights back with right hands and chops of his own before they exchange headbutts and forearms, spilling out to the floor where Scott rams the shoulder 
into the ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Norton continues the punishment on the shoulder until Ice Train answers with a slam, but it only causes more pain. Scott pounces on the opportunity, driving a knee into the shoulder until Ice tries to rally with some headbutts and chops, but he's a one-armed man, so Norton easily takes Ice Train back down, leg dropping the shoulder. Scott then goes for a running lariat, but Ice ducks and power slams Norton for a two count, followed by multiple clotheslines with his good arm. Ice Train goes for one more, but Scott catches and drops him with an arm breaker before locking on an arm bar for the submission and, and the win. Incredible power slam. Being one-armed, definitely. Looks great. We're then sent to a pre-recorded interview with Ric Flair. And the Nature Boy calls out the NWO for hurting Arn Anderson. Thinking that the Horsemen and the NWO could have coexisted. But now it's a whole new ball game. And Nage continues by saying he stands up for WCW. Because they are his friends. And that it doesn't matter how he feels about Sting and Luger. He will fight by their side if he has to. And Flair says that the two companies can't survive together, telling the NWO to think about that. So I guess they're already doing the whole, even though NWO's three people, yeah. they're a whole different company that's doing an invasion. Yeah, well, I thought he said like that the four horsemen in NWO can't coexist, but he also may have said the company, because he's talked about WCW as well. He talks about how he's like, WCW... You know, it's gonna push back against NWO, of course. And he's like, Sting and Lex don't mean as much, but if Arn is down, I'm there. So he's like, you know, obviously I'm still trying to be a little bit of a heel. Yeah. But he's still, if it's WCW versus NWO, he's staunchly WCW. Flair looks so young here too. I mean, yeah, I know it's. 27 years ago, but <laughs> he just looks so young compared to 70-something Rick that we see now. Oh, well, he looks like an extra from Night of the Living Dead yeah. now. I remember thinking back then that Rick Flair looks so old. But... <laughs> oh, now? Yeah. We then get a Hogwild merchandise commercial. Get your denim jackets and t-shirts for $20. Woo! Jimmy Art has his. Why haven't you bought yours? Oh, I could use that denim. I could rock that denim. And then we go to our third match. Bull Nakano with Sonny Ono versus Medusa in a battle of the bikes. All right. And the last time we saw Bull was at World War Three ninety five episode 173. And Medusa at Uncensored 96, episode 194. Incredible Bobby line. Bull Nakano is the only woman that could wear... Uh, and a pull off an A Lincoln hat. <laughs> it's like super silly, very you know, very dad joke. But it's like, oh, this is yeah. Even even when Bobby's, he's always the best with Gorilla, but he's always charming. See, I missed several of the uh, comments on the show because I had sound effects issues on mine where I had to watch it at. Volume 5, because anything above that sounded like it was going to blow my speakers out. (laughs) So the stipulations of this match was that the winner gets to smash their opponent's bike with a sledgehammer. Woo! 
Yep, and you know why. Yeah, you know why this makes sense because obviously the Japanese woman has a Japanese motorcycle. That's right. And the American woman has a Harley. Ride out to the ring. Mm -hmm. So Sunny rides out on a Honda with the Japanese flag on it, while Medusa rolls out on a pink Harley. And as soon as Medusa makes it to the ring, Nakano hits her with some nunchucks several times before whipping Medusa around by the hair before choking her on the ropes. Bull body slams and makes a cover only for Medusa to bridge out and deliver several sling blades for a two count. I mean, at least here, the crowd is right in doing a USA champ. Medusa tries for a powerbomb. Only for Nakano to counter by tripping her up and applying a scorpion crosslock. Bull lets it go, but keeps up the attack with a draping DDT for a near fall, followed by more holds to wear Medusa down. And Medusa rallies with a hurricanrana for a two count, followed by a spinning heel kick, but she misses a second attempt, allowing Nakano to clothesline Medusa down for a near fall. We get a Harley chant now. Not only are they pro USA, they're pro. American motorcycle. Well, I mean, if you're at Sturgis and you know you've got a Harley and a, a Honda in front of you, I'm I'm guessing yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. only one that they're gonna be hollering for. It's totally fine for them. Sorry. I'm not mad at them. Harlering for Harlering, Harlering. <laughs> I mean, I wish Harley Race was here. They fight over a waist lock with Medusa taking Bull over with a bridging German for Beautiful. a two count. Beautiful bridging German. Followed by Nakano taking Medusa over with a bridging back suplex for a near fall. Bull telegraphs a backdrop, allowing Medusa to nail a sunset flip for a two-count. But Meccano retaliates with another bridging back suplex, with Medusa lifting her shoulder at the last second for the pin and the win. Post-match, nobody, including the announcers, Mm -hmm. understands what just happened. Uh, But Ono decides to start destroying the pink Harley. But the ref makes it out to inform him that Bull had lost with Medusa arriving to steal the hammer away, chasing Sunny and Nakano to the back. Medusa then smashes the Japanese bike with the hammer bouncing off the seat before taking the headlight and mirrors off. It's, uh, you ever play Street Fighter 2? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, you remember that? The, the little interstitial parts where you have to punch a car real fast? That's what, that's what immediately popped in my mind. I just kept laughing because it seemed like... No matter where she hit that thing, I mean, granted, aside from the headlights, none happened. It just bounced off to where she just had to reach down and just rip something off of the bike. (laughs) It's Harley tough, man. (laughs) Maybe if she had hit it with something else that was, that bounced around. Talking about dropping a titty on it? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, some sad news. Uh Uh-oh. This will be the last time we see Bull Nakano as she retires... And goes plays professional golf. Wow, I did not know that she turned to a professional golf career. I didn't either. It wasn't a very good one. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's... you know, she'd been she'd been uh, putting on like bangers all through the '90s in Japan, probably a little worn out. And uh, you know, when you're working that hard as a larger person, uh, you deteriorate a little faster so i wonder what her thoughts are on monster trucks because i mean we've seen bull versus alundra in wwf we've seen bull versus medusa in wcw i wonder if we could get medusa versus bull 
in their monster trucks at some sort mm-hmm. of a monster truck rally. You know, they should, mm-hmm. I was going to say, make it they, happen. I guess if she's still alive, I don't uh, know. Yeah. Special pay per view idea. Two, best two out of three. Monster truck match. Wrestling on roof, match. On the roof of a building? <laughs> I mean, anywhere you like. And the top of Nakatomi Tower. And the, uh, the uh, wrestling match. And, uh, of course, 18 holes of golf. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Lovely. <laughs> we got this television special all figured uh, it'd out. It'd be good. Maybe an hour and a half. You could do nine holes of golf. It doesn't really matter. Because that might be a long, a lot to watch, but they'll they'll cut it, fix it in post. That will, golf won't be live. Do the wrestling live, and we'll pre-tape the monster truck. Yeah, we just pre-tape it all and just edit it down to an hour. Yeah, that's fine. I still, but it sounds like a good time. Unfortunately, neither of these women are big enough draw in America for that to happen, and uh, you know. Yeah, probably not. But it's a fun idea. Hmm, the opening of All In. <laughs> It'd be better than in some of the openings I've seen for all of <laughs> <laughs> So we go to the back, and the Steiners are there on laptops. And Tony thinks they're that makes sense. <laughs> Tony thinks they're chatting with fans on CompuServe, but Rick's actually playing a video game while making racing noises as he jabs at the keyboard. I mean, it's pretty cute. This is uh, some. Brothers playing video games. Yeah, it's like a little more, like, Rick's always the more playful one, but yeah. this reminds you of, uh, you know, early, early uh, was this, uh, WCW Rick. Who or... was his friend, uh, Sock? Oh, not... It wasn't Socko, I know that. Yeah, it wasn't but... Kevin, it was something else. So... Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Go back and listen to some of those early episodes. Yeah, yeah the, uh, why can't I think of it, the Mike Rotunda, the... What was their what was their RC group called? Club. The R City Club. Club. R City Club is fun. It was okay. <laughs> I mean, I just love Rick Steiner a lot. <laughs> yeah, but all I can hear now is Scott Steiner's voice of, or either one of them. My brother is the best video game player. <laughs> yeah. So we head to our fourth match: Chris Benoit with Woman and Miss Elizabeth versus Dean Malenko. And the story behind this match was that Dean had started attacking Benoit over the past few weeks, costing him matches. And it was revealed that the Dungeon of Doom had placed a bounty on the Crippler's head, with Malenko attempting to collect. Uh And this is why we see Jimmy Hart coming out with Malenko at the very start, because they're still discussing business, because basically Malenko made the deal to get a cruiserweight championship match if he helped the dungeon do now okay so him and ray have another match at some point they got a you know there's there's different pots at different temperatures right now (laughs) how jimmy hart makes it happen yeah so i'm like wait a minute do i miss jimmy hart has pool i'm just i'm just going with it jimmy hart has pool. i'll I'll write you uh Uh, jimmy was probably working with sonny who was gonna take the belt you know him and ultimo were gonna Mm, take the belt from ray and then give dina championship match that's how it works something like that something He's like, I'll, I'll uh, just hear me out. I'll, I'll co-write your next theme song. <laughs> so the two of them begin to brawl, exchanging chops, headbutts, and right hands before Dean drops Benoit with a vertical suplex. Malenko continues with a neckbreaker and an elbow drop for a two count, but the Crippler responds with turnbuckle smashes, chokes, and a leg drop for a near fall. They go into a knuckle lock that leads into multiple pin attempts, 
and bridging reversals shared by the two men, until Dean hip-tosses Benoit and locks on a short-arm scissors, which the Crippler powers out of with a suplex. Benoit hits a leg drop and a snap suplex for a two-count, before going into an ab stretch, which Malenko escapes momentarily with a hip-toss. They start to run the ropes with both going for a crossbody, causing a double KO. But once back to their feet, the Crippler reverses a whip, sending Dean to a corner, only for him to float over to the apron before leaping off the top turnbuckle with a double axe handle, which Benoit blocks and delivers another snap suplex. The Crippler heads up top, and he comes off with a flying headbutt for a near fall, and he goes for a tombstone only for Malenko to reverse it to hit one of his own for several two counts. Benoit two counts. I counted them. That's odd. Benoit reverses a whip and charges into a big boot, allowing Dean to attempt to put on the cloverleaf, but the crippler rolls him up for a near fall. Malenko charges at Benoit on the ropes with a crossbody that ends up taking them both out to the floor, where Dean rams the crippler into the ring post. Posted. Benoit's rolled back in with Malenko headed up top, but the Crippler meets him there to nail a superplex and a scoop slam for a two count. Big boy stuff. Dean retaliates with a released German suplex for a near fall. Woo! Goes to pick him up, but Benoit rolls him up again for a two count. The released German just looks so dangerous. Yes. The Crippler hits a short arm clothesline. He tries for another, only for Malenko to duck and hit a clothesline of his own for a near fall. Dean then hits a belly-to-belly overhead suplex for a two-count. But Benoit responds with one of his own, with a bridge for a near fall. The Crippler continues with a bridging German suplex for a two-count, as the announcer tells us that there are five minutes remaining. Oh my gosh, I have a feeling this could mean a thing. Benoit with a scoop slam, and he locks on a lion tamer, as there are four minutes remaining when Malenko would make the ropes. Crippler with a back elbow that sends Dean out to the floor, with Benoit following out with a slingshot plancha. And Malenko's back is rammed into the apron, before they return to the ring, where the Crippler locks up the arms and rolls Dean over with a bridge for a near fall. Three minutes remain as Malenko counters a suplex into a wheelbarrow victory roll for a two count. Followed by them fighting over a backslide pin attempt with Dean finally pulling the crippler over for a near fall. Malenko sidesteps a backdrop and rolls up Benoit for a two count. But the crippler responds with a powerbomb for a near fall. And one minute remains as Benoit heads up top only for Dean to meet him there to deliver a superplex of his own. And Malenko has to crawl to get on top of the Crippler, as there are 30 seconds remaining. For the pin, and no, Benoit kicks out. And so does the time clock. And the ref declares that there must be a winner. So he puts them into a five-minute overtime. Fight forever. <laughs> No, it was... So the Crippler hits a back suplex and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for a two-count. Applies the Texas Cloverleaf, but Malenko won't give up. So Benoit lets it go as we get a three-minute call. All the while, a woman is just, you know, 
throwing a fit. <laughs> the crippler goes back to the leg, only for Dean to hit it in Siguri to slow the momentum. Followed by going for a clothesline, which Benoit ducks and shoves Malenko headfirst into the turnbuckle. But he bounces back with a headbutt to the crippler to take both men down. Dean struggles to stand as we have two minutes remaining, so Benoit works it with stomps and holds. But Malenko never gives up, so the crippler goes for a slam, only for Dean to roll him up as time expires. What do we do? So the ref calls for another five-minute overtime. Yeah! Which the crowd does not like, yeah. booing very loudly. It's the thing is, is these guys can put on a great match, and this is not the place to do yep. the, like, okay, this is kind of a take that I saved for the end of the show, but the show <laughs> should have been, if it's going to be in this venue, it needs to be two hours long with quick, hard-hitting matches with clean finishes, mm-hmm. and it probably should have been a television special, but I get it, it's a pay-per-view, but that's what would work inside of this pile of dirt with a ring in it that's the only show that's going to work in front of this crowd successfully and i think there is good matches on this show so i'm not shitting all over it just saying i just have to point out that i'm really tired of these quote unquote fans that we've seen doing these two specifically in matches that they've had in two different promotions just because they're putting on kick-ass wrestling yeah frustrating but it's like they need they, this crowd is not the crowd to put this match on. We need the hard, quick, impressive, crispy, hard hitting wrestling. And not that this this isn't quick, and you have to pay attention to it. It's not uh, Ice Train and Norton. Nope. Yes. So Benoit gets it started with a back body drop, only for Malenko to come back with a dragon screw leg whip and an elbow drop to the knee. Dean then tries for a short arm clothesline, only for the crippler to duck and deliver a bridging dragon suplex. Benoit tries for another, but the two men then fight over position, with Malenko trying for another wheelbarrow victory roll, only for the crippler to just sit down on top of him for a near fall. Benoit then attempts a drop kick, but Dean avoids allowing him to apply the Texas Cloverleaf before he transitions it into an STF. And all of a sudden we see woman and she's reaching through the ropes and she looks to slap Malenko. So he releases the hold to push her away, but this allows the crippler to roll Dean up for the pin and, and the win. win. Woo! Yeah. I think that the finish is good and fine. But they with, done it about 20 minutes earlier in this match. But yeah. that finish didn't need to be in this match it didn't need to be earlier this finish needed to be earlier for this match yeah i mean i love the extensions on it as a fan of wrestling myself but with this crowd they didn't need a double overtime no no they just needed to have woman try and slap malenko about five minutes into the match and yep. that would have sent the crowd home mm-hmm. or shut them up i mean Miss Elizabeth and Woman were probably the fans' favorite part of this match. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was having fun watching the two of them because Elizabeth just looked like she was telling Woman like, jokes the entire time or pointing at Chris and you know making comments about him that nobody else could hear. The, yeah, this, if this is in front of a wrestling crowd, yeah, it's great. 
But like we said, too long and also outdoor shows shouldn't have really long matches. If you're in an outdoor venue, the matches should be quicker, especially one that looks like this. It's not a football arena. It's a little different. So we go to our fifth match. The Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner versus Harlem Heat of Booker T and Stevie Ray with Colonel Parker and Sister Sherry for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. And this crowd does not like Harlem Heat. What? And I couldn't quite put my finger on why. Well, earlier I saw a man uh, with a couple of specifically drawn S's on his jacket in the crowd. Oh. Are you sure they were S's and not K's? No, they were not K's. They were S's. Were they like fives that were interlinked together (laughs) to make a floral pattern? (laughs) Okay. It was, uh, you know... Yeah. yeah, makes me think of like, you know, a helmet with a spike on it, maybe a small man with a with a short mustache. But I will say this, Harlem Heat plays into it very well. Incredibly, they, they really do play into the crowd and the heat is uh, palpable. So Scott attacks from behind as Booker continues to argue with fans, delivering a tiger bomb before also hitting a snap suplex to Stevie, followed by a Steiner line from Rick. To send Harlem Heat to the floor mm. to regroup. You know who looks like legitimately shoot pissed? Stevie Ray. <laughs> I mean, like I said, they are selling it, but I believe there's some real anger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can so, only ignore so much. So back in the ring, Booker T and Scott start running the ropes with both men blocking hip tosses, followed by Scott ducking a hook kick and nailing a gorilla press slam. Mounted punches and a hip toss that sends Booker out to the floor. Harlem Heat regroups again with Stevie Ray tagging in and getting in Scott's face before clubbing away on him, but misses a big boot, allowing Scott to hit a belly-to-belly suplex. You know what I, what a missed opportunity this is here? Is having the heels dominate first. Well, you had the crowd getting this ready is, to turn. This is what Steiner's, this, I, all Steiner matches are like. I know, but I had, really, really would have got the crowd fired up. Oh, yeah. The, I think that was their their worry was they were uh, going to revolt because they were just booing the end of the last match for going long. So, yeah, yeah got to do something to turn around. I also don't know if we got to it yet, but, uh, you know, there's a little bit of trash thrown in the ring. A water bottle or two makes its way in. So Rick comes in with forearms and headlocks but runs into a big boot from Stevie. Only for Rick to then duck a clothesline and nail a jumping Steiner line for a two count. Scott checks Stevie's temp with a headbutt, but eye gouge allows Booker to tag in and deliver a side slam. Booker T then runs into a big boot, followed by a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall. Rick comes back in with right hands, only for Booker to thumb the eye and attempt a suplex, but Rick reverses it into one of his own. For a two count. Booker T then reverses a whip, sending Rick to the ropes, where Stevie Ray clubs him from the apron, allowing Harlem Heat to double team Rick with back kicks, back elbows, knee drops, and wearing him down with several holds. Booker continues the punishment before tossing Rick to the ropes, where he tries for a leapfrog, only for Rick to catch and drive him down with a power slam. Scott tags in and immediately hits a drop kick and locks on an STF, only for Stevie to run in to break it up. And all the while, Sherry is obviously does incredible work. She's really 
feeling the uh, the energy in the air. I don't know if electricity is the right way to put it. I wouldn't necessarily consider this, uh, you know, a, ro- a romantic wrestling moment. But yeah, to the point where Rick just yells, "Shut up, bitch!" <laughs> everyone's everyone's uh, blood is pumping a little uh, heavier at the moment than normal. The Steiners now work over Booker T with holds until a reverse whip sends Rick to the ropes, where Stevie Ray pulls them down, causing Rick to tumble out to the floor. Stevie then hits a big boot and rams him into a ring post. Posted. And Sherry even gets in a rake of the back before rolling Rick back into the ring, where Booker goes for a leg lariat. But Rick ducks, causing Booker T to crotch himself. Hot take. Hulk Hogan. The only person, people that should be doing back rakes is uh, female managers. This is a perfect female manager spot, not a world champion that talks about prayers and vitamins spot. I'm going to put money on that he doubles down on the back rakes now that he's a heel. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, how could he resist? It doesn't take any work. He's got that new Hollywood manicure to go along with it. (laughs) He's got the French tip. (laughs) Stevie Ray tags in to keep up the punishment with clubbing forearms, chokes, and a bicycle kick. And Booker's back in to wear down Rick some more before hitting a body slam, followed by an attempted elbow drop that Rick avoids. So Booker T spin a Rooney's up to Nella Leg Lariat. Stevie comes in to hit a rib breaker, a vertical suplex for a two count, before locking on a nerve hole. Yeah. You got some nerve. The uh, also, you know, all the while, just to paint a picture uh, of, I don't know if it's a picturesque show, but it's very interesting looking show. The sun is going down as the this match is happening, and, and it's at that moment I thought, well, that's actually kind of a pretty scenery. Yeah, it's kind of nice. You know? yeah. uh, before I was distracted by you know, the dirt path and <laughs> the the pile of dirt looks better when yeah, the sun's down. Half naked sure. bikers in the crowd, but mm-hmm. yeah. We, we had some nice scenic stuff happening uh, behind the match. Yeah, the big like hills or mountains are nice in the background. Yeah. But, you know. Now, still... I can totally understand why they wanted to put it up on this little mountaintop in the middle of nowhere. Because, you know, for that moment right there, you had that golden hour shot and everything looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. And no matter uh, how you feel about what's going on, you can't say that it's not a little hot. <laughs> Booker comes off the second rope with a knee drop. Only for Rick to move... And make the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Scott cleans house with clotheslines and belly-to-belly suplexes. He makes a cover on Booker T, only for Stevie Ray to leg drop him to break up the pin. Rick and Stevie brawl to the outside while Booker grabs hold of Scott, with the Colonel and Sherry making their way to the apron. They both throw powder, which gets in each man's eyes followed by Parker breaking his cane over Scott's head, allowing Booker T to make the cover for the pin and, and the, the win. win. <sighs> and the crowd throws trash. <laughs> there was an interesting thing that uh, Dusty said a little bit before the hot tag in this match, but he says, because Dusty typically doesn't like really overstep the lines or talk too much about, like, wrestling psychology which he obviously knows a lot and probably has strong feelings on but uh he points out that uh, how many kickouts there has been from big moves tonight and it was like uh, dusty's feeling a little bit of a way 
And normally he's not quite like that on the mic the way that some people are. Is that his way of saying he's bored with the show? I think that's his way of saying that like... <laughs> a every... driver should be a fucking uh, power Yeah, that like, yeah, that these big moves need to actually mean something, you know. He's just... He, he's not wrong, but some Maybe people... this is where right. Jim Ross learned it. Yeah. You then get a video of wrestlers driving to Sturgis on their motorcycles. They started their journey from the Mall of America in Minneapolis with most of them not wearing helmets. Because... You know, they're too cool for school, guys. They got hard heads. And, you know, they put a lot of money in that hair. Though it is funny that Rick Steiner is one of the ones wearing a helmet. <laughs> yeah, and Scott Steiner should have been wearing a helmet to cover up that rat's tail thing that was blown behind him as he was going down the highway. Because I remember always laughing at Scott with long hair at this point in the 90s. But that was just like the perfect clip right there of if I would have saw myself looking like that, you're fucking right. I would have cut my hair and bleached yeah. it blonde. Yeah, that, he's got like a true ape drape. Yeah. The um, yeah, it is funny that Rick is the one, but Rick also used to wear like the wrestling. I don't even know. It's not the helmet, headgear. Yeah. yeah the or head whatever. Gear. Yeah. So it's like that kind of like makes more sense on uh, him. We also get to see many of the colorful characters that are at the rally, including many scantily cladded women. And Ben. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's some guys out there just, you know, hanging out in their underwear. But uh, just to point out, yeah, there were, there were some of each, because there were some dude in like a gold Speedo or something like yeah. that that looked like he was about 50 years too old to be wearing that. This is like Burning Man for but then people that are missing. Too. Yeah, this is Burning Man for people that are missing a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. I mean, I've never been to either, but that's the way I would put it down. Oh, the meth that was traded. <laughs> yeah. in Sturgis '96. I wonder if uh, Hunter S. Thompson was here. Didn't he go to Sturgis and write a th- write articles about it? <laughs> sure. I mean, it sounds I sounds bet. right. It sounds about right. Yeah. So we go to our sixth match, Eddie Guerrero. Versus the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, with Woman and Miss Elizabeth, for the WCW United States Championship. And Tony tells us that Eddie is fighting for his family. And this was because Nate had beaten up Chavo during a match, not releasing the figure four after the match was over. Mm. Chavo is already here. Yeah, he's doing, uh, he's going... WCW Saturday night. Well, I was going, he's going to Taz... Taz on uh, Chavo, you know, just hold, keeping the hold on after the match is over. So we get shoving to start us up with the Nature Boy even shoving the ref, who returns the favor as well, before the two men start slapping each other. So Flair rolls to the floor to regroup. Now back in the ring, they start running the ropes with Guerrero hitting a leaping knee, but Nature responds with a back suplex that Eddie tries to roll out of. So Flair appears to have hurt his wrist, while Guerrero heads out to the floor to regroup himself. Looks like a little bit of a botch. Mm, just maybe. And he goes back into the ring where they trade chops and right hands, so again the nature boy bails. But when he returns, Guerrero uses a headlock takeover to gain control. But Flair pulls Eddie's hair to escape before taking the fight to a corner, where Guerrero whips the nature boy to an opposite corner, bouncing out for a back body drop. Nate retaliates with an eye poke, chops and right hands, but again Eddie fights back with mounted punches and a whip to the corner. 
for a flare flip out to the apron, where Guerrero delivers a drop kick to send the Nature Boy down to the floor. Back in the ring, Eddie nails another back body drop and multiple clotheslines that sends Nature out to the floor. And once the Nature Boy returns, he begs off. But Guerrero keeps up the attack with chops that gets us a flare flop. Eddie then gets his eyes poked and his balls kicked by the dirtiest <laughs> player in the game, allowing Nate to toss Guerrero to the ropes, only for him to duck a clothesline and come back with a crossbody for a two count. Eddie hits a clothesline before heading up top, where he comes off with a flying sunset flip, but Flair stays up and punches down, only for Guerrero to have moved. I know, I love it that uh, Eddie moves, Flair punches the... Uh... The canvas, then sells his hand like he did a few minutes earlier. What is that? What two hand matches in a row? <laughs> Eddie then trips up the Nature Boy and locks on the figure four in the middle of the ring, forcing Flair to make the ropes to break the hold. Guerrero then delivers a springboard Rana for a near fall, followed by a tornado DDT out of the corner for a two count. And Eddie starts to mock Nature's strut but misses a charge into the corner, allowing Flair to head up top, only for Guerrero to meet him there to press slam him off for a near fall. Eddie is then yanked through the ropes to the apron, so Guerrero goes for a sunset flip back into the ring, with Flair trying to stay up, but Eddie pulls the tights Full moon. to get him over for a two count, with Dusty saying he had him by a crack right there. <laughs> Dad jokes. Guerrero then pokes the eyes and takes the Nature Boy down before heading up top to nail a frog splash. But he comes down hard on his knee. You know what that means. Nature hits a back suplex, but Eddie flips out and goes for an O'Connor roll, only for Flair to hold onto the ropes and then charges out with a clothesline. The Nature Boy locks on the figure four, using the ropes and woman for leverage, with Guerrero passing out from the pain. For the pin and the win. Yeah, I mean, if you put Flair in the figure four, the chances of you winning later go down a hefty percent. Yeah. Granted, you know, with uh, all this NWO business, this uh, young Eddie Guerrero is probably not getting a win over Ric Flair right now. No. But this was my introduction to Eddie. Oh, really? Around this time. That's cool. Yeah, I... Never seen him wrestle anywhere before, and then all of a sudden he was in a feud with Ric Flair. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. The, what is crazy is, like, this is not terrible, but they don't quite have the right chemistry no. yet. Like, you can tell that, like, it's a little stilted and awkward between them, even though, you know, it's a, like, psychologically a pretty solid uh, match. Yeah. Yeah, you can sense the magic between the two that's just not... Yeah, they haven't, they haven't gelled yet. yet. I mean, they haven't probably worked together yet, and it's Ric Flair. It's being called in the ring, so like, it's not the way wrestling is today. Okay, you wrestled in Japan. Me too. I had some great rivalries with Muda, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. We should do something. We get Mean Gene on a stage with the Giant and Jimmy Hart, and Oakland claims the sun is setting on WCW because of the NWO. And Jimmy chimes in that tonight is a big step for Hulk Hogan, telling him not to trip and fall, because no one will pick him up. Mean Gene also says that the giant idolized Hogan, 
So what must be going through his mind? And the giant responds that it's his betrayal. And that he used to be the biggest Hogan fan in the world. Hmm. But I thought he showed up to avenge his father. Yeah, I mean, nobody really believed it. But it might be one of the better giant promos yet. Because yeah. he's at least fired up. He's not rhyming. Are you sure? Did he rhyme? <laughs> giant continues that Hogan telling fans to stick it causes him pain. But that he saw it coming. That he recognized his true colors before anyone else. Then why are you so mad? Before claiming he will be the one to stick it. He then clarifies that he will stick his hand around Hogan's throat and choke slamming before giving us one of his famous rhymes. Mm-hmm. No. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Tonight I lay the Hulkster to rest. Oh, see, he didn't rhyme. Yeah, he didn't rhyme. Damn. That's funny, though. But he started, he wanted to, he just... I think that maybe he thought it was funny if he didn't. It, I like, okay, you scared me. I was like, damn, he didn't do it, but I didn't quite remember <laughs> the really good dry joke. He's got some intensity, though. We'll give him that. We'll give him that. We then go to our seventh match. The Outsiders of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus Sting and Lex Luger. Obviously, this has been building for quite some time. We get our first NWO music. On their entrance. Yeah, I know. It's like nice. I mean, first fireworks. Fireworks look nice. You know, nicer outside than inside. Yeah, that's a that's a thing. But it's since it's an outside show because of the camera, they obviously use a lot more fireworks. But it legitimately just sounds like popcorn because it just obviously dissipates. Sound dissipates because it's not contained. So in the lead up to the pay per view, the Stinger and Lex had started taking exception to WCW airing the NWO ads. Those, you know, blocking... Shh, this is brought to you by. Yeah. Even storming the production truck, asking them why they were showing them. And the producers just responded that they were paid ads, so they had to air them. So Sting made them a counteroffer. Free pot pies and Mountain Dews in his trailer. Jesus. Wow. It's like the least enticing meal I've ever heard of. Uh, like pot pie. Pot pies and Mountain Dew. I mean, if Sting were to offer me a free pot pie and a Mountain Dew, I'd probably be like, okay, sure, cool. But I'm like, I work with you, Sting. Yeah, I've got pot pie money. I'm, I'm okay. I got yeah. Mountain Dew money. I saw what you were doing backstage last week, Sting. Hot pies and Mountain You'll Dew. You'll need more than pot pie and Mountain Dew to shut me up. <laughs> So the Outsiders play rock, paper, scissors to determine who starts the match, with Scott winning with scissors, cutting paper. Oh, nice. Good attention to detail, Matthew. <laughs> oh, is this our first scissor on wrestling TV? <laughs> Aside from Brutus? Outside of a head scissor, I guess. <laughs> head scissor, off scissor, yeah. Never but, mind. you know, we're talking, we're talking uh, you know, scissor, scissors. Yeah. So Hall tosses the toothpick at the Stinger before hitting a back body drop and working the arm of Luger. When Lex would respond with a hip toss, a knee lift, and a body slam, Nash tags in demands Sting, where the two men spit at each other before the Stinger uses his speed advantage to stick and move before finally slamming Kevin after a couple of tries. Stick and move, stick and move. Sting knocks Scott off the apron before returning his attention to Kevin who reverses a whip to a corner. 
only for the stinger to leap up and off the ropes. But Nash catches him and drops him onto a turnbuckle with snake eyes, followed by an apron clothesline from Scott Hall. The outsiders start to work over Sting with clotheslines, knees, forearms, and fallaway slams, using frequent tags and ref distractions to maintain control. But the Stinger begins to fire up with chops, kicks, and right hands, before Kevin reverses a whip, sending Sting to the ropes, where they shoulder block each other. About this time, Bobby Heaton starts to... You know, say some questionable things over the air. Like, uh, he doesn't he starts, care who he wins. He starts cheering for the NWL. He says, I don't care who wins. And Tony Giovanni and Dusty immediately jump on him. Like, hey, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the Stinger ends up bouncing off the ropes right into a headbutt to Nash's magic mics. But Scott jumps in to cut Sting off from a tag. Hall continues the punishment before bringing Kevin back in for a big boot. Followed by Scott going for the outsider's edge. But the Stinger reverses it into a back body drop. Making the crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Luger cleans house with running clotheslines on everybody. And Stinger even joins in with a Stinger splash on Nash. Lex is working over Hall while Sting takes Kevin to the floor. Where he applies the scorpion deathlock. Luger hits a power slam on Scott and lifts him up for the torture rack. But he clips the ref in the face, ref causing him to stumble, bouncing off the ropes with a chop block to Lex. But I guess Luger didn't feel it, so literally Nick Patrick does the chop block again, much more blatantly, allowing Hall to make the cover for the very quick pin. Very quick. And the win. Maybe if we do the pin fast enough, uh, they won't see the botch. (laughs) (laughs) And our commentators question the fast count, but the brain denies it was quick before Tony plugs fall brawl. Motorcycle shots and fall brawls. Gotta plug the next pay-per-view. We then go to our eighth match. Hollywood Hogan. Versus the Giant with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. The thing I noticed, they've dropped the the, and they're just calling him Giant. It's weird. Eventually, you know, they say that, you have to say the Giant in commentary, but like, the Chiron says Giant, and they call him Giant, and it's like, the Giant sounds so much better. What is this? Like, yeah, WWF does that now. It's like, you only need one name. They're trying not to confuse the audience because, you know, his father was Andre the Giant. Yes. So he just has to be giant. Or do you think they're scared? Because they've been, uh, you know... I mean, he's from parts but, unknown. You don't know what he's capable of. Yeah, for, his first name's Bill and his last name is Giant. He's just fallen so outside of the building uh, before, okay? Yeah, he's... Lived to tell the tale. Yeah. A, tree, a true demon. <laughs> so Michael Buffer makes our introductions. So let's get ready to... Vroom, 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 vroom. <laughs> I like that he says, because what is his opening line most of the time? He's like, is it people of the world or something like that? But he says, for the millions, or for the thousands in attendance, and the millions, millions watching, watching around the world. Yeah, but he says uh, bikers of the world here. And I was like, oh, look at you. Changing it up a little. Yeah, all while they rev their engines. So can't hear a word he's saying. I don't know what he made back in the day, but I assume that he 
is maybe one of the more overpaid people. It was six people. figures for each time he showed up. That's just fucking stupid. One of the most overpaid men of all time. Like, yeah, Michael Buffer's good at that, but his brother is his just brother. as good or better. I would, I would go with better. Probably less of a prick about it. I'd assume so. That is very true. <laughs> so Hollywood comes out in a Terminator shirt with NWO written across it. I want this shirt. I was looking for it. As soon as I saw this, I like made a note, and then I got on the internet. And you can find one that's vaguely similar, but it's not the same one. I want the one with the big Terminator head. I don't head. think they ever... No. Because they, they legally couldn't. couldn't. No, they legally couldn't, but I was looking for a bootleg, guys. It's probably like a, you know, a personal gift from Arnold or something. Yeah, I would never buy an NWO shirt unless... It was this one with the giant Terminator head on it because it's fucking awesome. And Hollywood is very reluctant to start walking around ringside with the giant trying to attack as soon as Hogan would jump on the apron. And Hollywood like looks to leave, which I'm like, um, it's a championship match. Like That doesn't work here. Why would you do that? But he knows he can't win that way, so he returns and finally enters the ring. You know who doesn't realize that, though? Is old giant who stops the red literally count could in the just, ring. Literally <laughs> could just walk away. You know what drives me nuts here? And another reason why this particular show at this particular time should be in a, not even like a, it should be in a WCW, JCP, a southern mainstay venue that they've been working for years where people were wrestling fans and not necessarily WWF fans, so Hogan could potentially be booed because the crowd is going wild for him this whole time that he's healing. And it obviously the NWO becomes the hottest thing, but it, right now is the time where you could actually get boos and you're not going to get them here, but you could get them in Greensboro. Yep. I don't think you could have. Really? Yeah. Fuck. Just because Hogan was so... It was so boring fresh. for so long yeah. that he came out with something that people had been wanting him to do for you know five ten years. It was you know, yeah, pretty much since the start of the golden era. Well, yeah, maybe or the rock and wrestling era in Atlanta. And he just—it's like a, you, maybe you would at least got some booze, but everyone is fucking going wild now. If you were going to get him booed, it would have had to have been you know in Charlotte against Flair or something like that, and then you may have gotten a reaction. But I don't think anywhere. Yeah, else... the Giants not helpful either because uh, no matter how big he is, no one gives a shit. Yeah, they've already seen him get beat by Hogan. Yeah. So Hogan starts laying it in with punches that just don't phase the Giant. So Hollywood rolls out to the floor once again. Back in the Giant begins to fluster Hogan with shoulder blocks and a back suplex. Before going to a test of strength. I do will say I appreciate Hogan legitimately trying to get heat by just walking away multiple times. Even though it doesn't make sense completely. But, you know, I get that he's trying to get boost. But Hollywood finally gets some boots to the gut. The giant thing goes for a wrist lock. But Hogan pulls the hair to gain control using arm locks and a bow and arrow stretch to wear down the champion, only for the giant to return the hair pulling to escape. Yeah, Hogan even tries to tell a guy to shut up and call him a fatso. He's working for working for moves. Yeah. He's, he's reaching into that mm-hmm. old Sid Vicious bag of tricks of you got to raise a hand to somebody or call somebody a wench yeah. just to be a heel. The champ delivers several headbutts that knock Hollywood out to the floor. But the giant is then dragged out as well, where Hogan rams him into a ring post. 
and rakes his back. Would have this been a, be- a better chance of booze if it was Sting instead of the Giant? Sting, yeah. a man who never quite but holds the title long Sting, enough. Sting is the end game, though. Yeah. Good point. It's a very good point. Yeah. Hogan then tries to slam the Giant's head into another ring post, but it's blocked and reversed before they return to the ring. The Giant hits multiple kicks and a backbreaker for a two count. Nails a body slam and attempts an elbow drop, only for Hogan to avoid and start to throw punches. But the champ begins to giant up. Like, he does the true Hulk up, which is funny and extremely stupid and doesn't. is It's like that. Everyone's just going to think you're a fucking goof. Yep. It's not the right thing to do. Yeah, stomps around the ring. Finger point, chops, big boot, and calls for the choke slam. When the outsiders would make their way out to the ring. Hall is on the top turnbuckle, but the giant sees him and press slams him off to the mat. While Nash steals Jimmy's megaphone. Oh no. Where is WCW during all this? Where is WCW? The giant choke slams Scott, with Kevin looking to attack from behind. Only for the champ to turn in time to fend off Nash with a choke slam. Hollywood then grabs the title belt and rolls into the ring, clocking the giant over the head with a championship, making the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. And no again. Also, they say big. I don't know if they say big boot instead of or no instead of big boot they say big foot, or I, that was just something that I thought would have been funny. But Bobby is a little noticeably uh, tuned up here in this last uh, match. A little bit. Incredibly funny that the trash gets thrown in the ring, but people are still cheering Hogan. I think it's just because the show is over and uh, they are drunk bikers. Post-match, the NWO celebrating the ring. When the booty man would arrive in the same shirt as Hogan with a birthday cake. Because it was actually Hogan's birthday. Mm-hmm. Booty Man would present the cake in a wrapped gift, congratulating Hollywood on being the new NWO World Heavyweight Champion. Boo. Hogan responds by calling Booty his own blood. Yo, yo, yo. Kissing him on both cheeks before challenging Ric Flair to a match. What is the Hogan Italian? Hollywood then continues that he will make Ted Turner look like a second-class citizen and wipe out WCW. But they never mix business with friendship. And that's a weakness that the Nature Boy has. Hogan then says he has a surprise for Booty Man. Telling the outsiders to get him before attacking him with the belt. Hollywood then says that if he would do this to his best friend, what will he do to Flair? Hogan then opens his gift and it's a can of black spray paint. Which he uses to paint the letters NWO. On the title belt. He does a poor job. This is not the NWO that you see on the belt later. It's a bad spray paint job. As Hollywood is leaving, Shivani calls this a sickening and scary situation. While Dusty questions where WCW was while all of this happened. Exactly. Before we cut to credits. The crowd even chants happy birthday. I'll give a a, a rare compliment to uh, Booty Beefcake. He actually, like, looks the best he has in a while here. Just his, like, general 
look. The black shirt, the hair, whatever. He just like has a, a solid look. I'm not playing a character character. Yes, that's good for him. <laughs> I think that might be good for him. Another cardinal sin of professional wrestling. There was a cake. That nobody no went into it. No one smashed it. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Maybe that was for all of the bikers. It would have been really funny is if instead of, I don't know, it would have been really stupid, but funny if he stuck his hand into the cake and pulled out the can of spray paint. <laughs> <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been funny. Granted, all of this is kind of funny in general. This just show in general is bizarre. Uh, and uh, there's obviously some very silly things that have happened. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Hogwild 96? Shane. It's a hard one to call, I feel. Yeah, I mean it had some okay moments and then it had some not okay moments. Started hot. The first few matches are good. And then it just kind of went... At the you end. literally you nailed it on the head earlier in the show. I know I should have probably saved it, but the quality of the matches on the show are actually pretty good. Ice Train and Norton is a good short pay per view match, even though we don't really care much about these guys. But this is completely the wrong environment, mm-hmm. so the matches don't get the respect that they deserve. It needs to be, and, it, and it's a like literally bigger crowd. I watched. Benoit and Malenko. And because of this crowd, I was just like... Too long. Oh my god, this is a slog to get through because no one is happy mm-hmm. with this match. Short and fast. Two hours long in this ven- in this, in this uh, like venue. Because this show in a WCW territory of WCW fans, yeah. a place that's been worked... For years and years, the NWO or end not sorry NWA territory <laughs> that was worked like crazy, and there's fans that are still coming from the '70s if they haven't been completely turned away by this Ted Turner's pet project that he doesn't really even care that much about at this point. It feels like, but there's like not really any complete turds here. Even when the Harlem Heat is being uh, heckled, I guess is the nicest way to put it, that match is still really good, and even the powder finish isn't the worst thing ever. No. We actually think... got to see Harlem Heat defend the belts. and I mean, is the them. women's match the worst match, and it's still decent? I would say that maybe the worst match is the Outsiders and Lex and Sting because yes. of the double chop block. I was gonna say, just... <laughs> yes, because that just I, like I, totally that, is. I wasn't yeah. even that into like that real that into that match, but that totally took the wind out of whatever like sails if, if, I had. If the actual finish had worked, it could have been something. It could have been something because it could have led to. I mean, spoiler alert: Nick Patrick basically becomes the NWO ref at one point here in the near future. Do you think that was a plan, and yes, this was part it, of it? Yes, it okay. was completely a plan. And so doing it twice was a plan. No. Okay. If they had done it the first, if like he, because he gets clipped. Yeah. He bounces off the ropes and then he chop falls blocks. forward yeah. and chop blocks Luger, and Paul lands on top of Luger, 
for the pin. If you didn't want to, it would have been nice and subtle. You have this, like, uh, ambiguity to Nick Patrick's, like, mistake. Involvement. Involvement, yeah. yeah. But then when he has to repeat it. When Luger doesn't fall over and he's like, um, um, okay, I'll just do it again. It's like. Yeah, it's obvious, and then he, and then on top of and that, he does, the quick, he does the quick, he does the quick pin, is the quick. Count. Yeah, you can't have the double, the double chop block and the quick pin. You can have the accident and the quick pin, but even with the accident, you don't. You could, I guess, the quick pin is important to keep the other guys strong because you know he fell on top of him. It wasn't yeah. a power move, yeah. and he was the one that was in a vulnerable spot. See, I enjoyed the first part of it up until the last two matches. Because the endings of the last two matches, I mean, granted, I wasn't, back then I was excited for Sting and Luger versus Hall and Nash just because it was something new, you know, hadn't seen. But the ending of that one, then combined with the ending of the Hogan Giant match, which I wasn't expecting a clean finish on it anyways, but you've got Hall and Nash running back out, Hogan hitting him with the belt, the belt sitting on the edge of the ring still, and then as soon as the pin is over, the referee just reaches over, grabs the belt that's sitting in the same spot that it was dropped when it was hit with no speculation and, of what is this doing here. And, and it's like, all right, you yeah, just kind of made it a hokey ending. It, it didn't happen. Also, Ric Flair and, and like WCW and Four Horsemen talk about how they care about WCW and, and nobody, comes, nobody comes out and like Ric I Flair mean, won his match he this, could have came down this becomes a like a running joke basically Arn was hurt but point. you know Arn could have come out with a, with, a, with a fucked up limb and still not been able to pull it off but it gives him an out mm-hmm. Benoit he tried. had a match earlier so he's still like they, they could have even done something in those matches where there was Mongo's a limb worked and they come out and are dog. selling it yeah yeah, Mongo yeah. totally made the trip. Yeah. We, saw, we saw him on the bike. Yeah, I mean, I mean, hell, Dabaru was even there. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So, what were some of the best moments of the show? First, like four, I guess maybe even more than that. Really, up until the last two matches, it's a good show. In a bad place what's the best match in context of the show just maybe the first one i mean it's it's definitely ultimo and ray yeah just in because like, i think we, i think we can all agree that they should not have gone 30 minutes in benoit malenko no, no match on this show should have gone more than 12 minutes yep yeah. just because of where they're at yep so i mean wrestling shouldn't take place outside Generally, generally speaking, very, very rarely. Yes. Very rarely. Yeah. WrestleMania. Uh, WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. But that's still a huge arena, and not a. It doesn't feel. A bunch of, yeah. It a doesn't bunch feel of, like an outside show. Live from Sturgis would be sitting better. On, sitting on their motorcycles around the ring. It's, yeah, it's impressive looking because it's WrestleMania. It's a fucking football arena i see it as a perfect monday night raw location or monday nitro location great like, li- like literally if they've done this you've done if it they've from the done this from nitro or what if in, in that yeah. two hour time slot it'd be a great nitro or yeah. what if this was a shit what is the show that they do the two hours show they do like quarterly oh clash, clash of champions this would have been nice yeah. for a clash yeah for, a clash. for something airing two on hours TV. a bunch of a, a bunch of title matches yeah. you get one of them changed yeah 
don't There's go out of your way to angle. watch us. We went out of our way, you know, to find this location. Yeah. But yeah, making people pay to tune in and watch this. Yeah. Is this the, the Dust Bowl of wrestling shows? When it could be, <laughs> it could have been a, a fairly good show. I don't think around. you have to change anything on this show, except for there's a couple of spots that could have been better. But yeah. just this show, we have said, I've said it like ten times already. Just in not Greensboro. Here. Just not here. In, like, no, yeah. in fucking Boise. <laughs> like, it don't matter. Just not out in the middle of nowhere, you know. Save that middle of nowhere for the... The nitro that happens the night after. Yeah, it's like you want to put it in Flair Country, but it's hard because it's really hard for anybody to care about the giant when Hogan is at least doing something interesting for the first time in a very long time. How about most disappointing? <laughs> yeah, I'd hate to beat a dead horse, but <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, you guys didn't like the giant gianting up or whatever i i thought it's it was cute it's cute i i didn't have an issue with it just nah. for the sheer fact i mean they set it up that he was hogan's biggest fan even though like obviously it was a retconning of his entire character in that one interview but they at least set it up before they did it oh yeah like if he doesn't do that interview and he does it then it's yeah. just kind of like what are, what are we doing but honestly is... i didn't even i watched the match and that part didn't even stand out in my mind so that's, at least for me anyways, that's how memorable. My whole thing is like, no one's taken the giant seriously, and now they never can. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like, now he just looks like an like a child playing with his wrestling buddy when he does that, personally. I mean, we won't have to take him seriously again until he becomes the big show. Well. I'm pretty sure I don't think he ever, yeah. I don't think he ever think he gets back in the title picture after this. This was a weird WCW. show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he's got like maybe a year and a half left in the company. Spoiler alert: He joins. Yeah. Like I'm gonna get beat by you, so I guess I'll join yeah, you. Can't beat him, join him. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes more sense to me then. It worked for Shivani. The well. uh, another thing that I'm excited to see about the Giant. The only thing I'm excited to see about from the Giant in WCW is I've seen this clip before, but him smoking a cigarette while walking down to the ring in like on like nitro which is just fucking hilarious i'm gonna guess that's after he joins the nwo i assume so but it is so <laughs> funny to see this giant man carry like a tiny cigarette he's very young and he's like smoking and like hus- and like walking down the rings like, bizarre and it doesn't like smoking doesn't look good on paul white and i guess he was a smoker at the time but yeah he was like 20 whatever have a best performer of the night. Hmm. I mean, can we just give it to... Oh, fuck. I mean, Benoit and uh, Malenko can share it for having a great match in a terrible spot. But there's also Sherry, and then you also have the extremely palpable energy of Harlem Heat. I was going to say, I was going to give it to Harlem Heat just yeah. for the shit that they had to deal yeah. with. But yeah, and like, but the they thing is, is they kept... Their Bobby composure and it felt real, because obviously uh, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, but they stayed in character. They always they yell at fans all the time anyway. Even when it's uh, not for a good reason, it's because you know they're the bad guys, not because they're the black guys. 
Scott Steiner's little ponytail flapping behind him in the wind on his motorcycle. Oh, uh, Rick Steiner's <laughs> saying, shut up, bitch, <laughs> to Sherry. So it's like, yeah, it's a, an it's outdoor show. It's not we didn't like the show. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I kind of, but uh, like a weird, like, snow globe. It's like... What, what's in here? Yeah. It's like it's it's like right, you rarely see. Yeah, it's like yeah. stripes where you know you've got like first two thirds of it. Oh are great. Yeah, yeah, and then it's just we didn't need this. <laughs> like part we needed right another here. thirty minutes. Like it could have been eighty minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> it should have ended at the eighty-two minute mark. How about most surprising? I didn't quite think that because I feel like I've seen the clip of them spray painting the belt. And I don't remember it being at an outside venue, so I didn't think it was going to happen here. And I know that the famous spray paint that actually looks decent didn't happen on this show because this is a botched spray paint job. So I was not expecting them to spray paint it here. I thought they were going to save that for like Nitro the next night or something. And I assume they spray paint the belt again at some point because I always feel like I see it in a ring inside of a lighted laying on top arena. Of- yeah. Either Ric Flair or Savage, but then I might be just mixing the two of them because yeah. I know they get their body spray painted at some point too. Yeah, I might just be mixing I mean, it maybe up. Maybe someone wins the belt and they, then they get a clean get belt, back. and then when once they win it back, they that's a good spray point. Yeah, that could and obviously that that's a remember, but yeah. In my them. mind, I see a more compelling version of that moment. So I was surprised when I saw it here, and it didn't match with my memory. But it could just be misremembering something. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Ooh. So this week the category is the champ is here. The champ is here. The champ is here. So five points for a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. I am going to give you a show and a title. You're going to give me who the champion was at the end of that show. Okay. So the show is the August 1st, 1994 Monday Night Raw. The championship is the WWF Intercontinental Championship. August 1st, 1994, you say? August 1st, 1994. I'm going to go for a wild guess. Uh... Michael? Razor Ramon. That is incorrect. Shit. Well, Shane, the stage is mm. yours. Scrolling backwards in my brain. 94, August, SummerSlam was soon after that. Who was champion at SummerSlam? I don't remember. So I'll just go to multiple choice. I know, now you're going <laughs> to get it. I was trying to get the, the, the big All points. right. Your options are... Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ramon, and Shawn Michaels. Okay. I'm going to go for... Oh, that's a tough one. Trying to remember the Jarrett timeline. Yeah, I have a guess, but I don't know if it's right. But, you know, I already made my guess. There was that 95. Can't be helping you out here. As if I was being help anyone. 95. For we saw Sean versus who at the fuck it, we're just gonna go Diesel. 
Diesel is correct. Woo! I mean, it was heavy. I was like, it's Diesel or Sean. <laughs> it totally could have been Jeff Jarrett. It could have, but it just didn't fit right in my mind. See, I can't remember his his timeline in WWF. I mean, in '94, he's. I guess he's already gone here, and it was so nice when he was around. It was a short time. I had a good time hanging out with Double J, and his very bizarre outfits. It's like we had Double J, and then he left, and then he came back, and then he left, and we got Shane Douglas, I think. Oh, yeah. Poor Shane. And then Shane left. I mean, Shane is so good in oh, yeah. ECW, but it's just such a, such a bummer that he couldn't, couldn't yeah. weather the gimmick, because it's incredibly hard to weather the gimmick. We're extremely lucky that Austin was able to weather the gimmick. Yeah. So Razor had... Won the champion had won the championship after Sean got stripped of the title, and then Diesel beat him in April of '94 on a Superstars taping, and then Ramon would win it back at SummerSlam. SummerSlam. Okay, so that's the because it, this is the so we Sean actually, and Diesel. So literally, this is like the vibe. only show I think we saw Diesel actually come out with the belt. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I was trying to remember. I knew at 95 it was Diesel against Mabel, but I couldn't remember who the hell he fought. That was the, at SummerSlam. That was the heavyweight belt, though. Yeah. Next week, speaking of SummerSlam. Here it goes. SummerSlam 1996. Woo! Coming to you from the land. Cleveland. Oh, oh. land of Cleves. Hmm. Cleveland rocks. Going back to rocks. Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Why, 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 he starts to use Voodoo Lady, but NWA still uses Rock House. He continues to use uh, Voodoo Lady. Voodoo, Voodoo Child, Child isn't for oh, like, wow. that's, like another year or so. Yeah, it's mu- okay. It's much later. I just remember that from I got into like the Attitude Era stuff and was switching back and forth between channels. More interested in WWF, but I do remember uh, Hogan using some 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 uh, you know Slim Jimmy. Yeah. Not his old Slim Jimmy. Oh, we're listening to Hogan's music again. Yay. (laughs) This isn't as as good as his other two songs. No. (laughs) If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Spotify. Hey, I mean, I imagine we've had to have a couple of extra listens on Spotify. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on. And you can find the... Or just anywhere else you find your podcast at, you know, do do all those things. Do Helps us do. out. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your parents. Yeah, tell somebody. Yeah, exactly. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you've ever been to Cleveland and uh, you I've have an idea, well, if you have an idea, hop into the twitters and send us a, did a they, message. Did they ever make the Drew Carey show beer? 
where it was like coffee and beer together. I guess. Yeah, that's what it was. That's totally it. Kind of. Sure I'm sure there's plenty of coffee beers. Yeah. I just was curious if there was one that had the little animated Drew Carey face. Which oh, that, that would be know. fun. I'm trying to think of what the hell that beer was called now on that show, but I'm it's been sure. too long since I watched yeah, it. Yeah, it's been quite a long time. Oh, but yeah, slide into our DMs or shoot us a, a message on on the Twitters. You know, we've, we've got a lot of negativity on Twitter these days, so send us something positive or tell us how much you hate something in the, the world of wrestling because, you know, you got to tell somebody. Yeah, keep it a wrestling. We don't really care about the way you see the world outside of that. No, strictly wrestling or food. Or <laughs> wrestling, beverage. food. I don't know. Maybe, or, you know, maybe, maybe a, a movie take. Yeah, maybe a movie take. take. This Cleveland. Is, this is like one-sixth a movie pod. Which did you like better? <laughs> Jack or... What was the other one? Escape from LA. Escape from LA. <laughs> I mean... What's your second favorite Coppola movie? Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn, that's a tough one, because his three best movies I love dearly. Because we already know what your favorite should be, and it's not that one. I mean, you can make arguments for three of them, in my opinion. Although I've never seen The Conversation. No, there's that's, only one. That's, that's Is it Godfather 2? Yes. Okay. I, I, I love Apocalypse Now so much, but that's, that's a talk for another day. <laughs> Another day, different But if podcasts. you have any of those things, you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Fuck you,